0: Okay, so as we uh, travel through 1 Kings uh, and, and in chapter 15, I, I just want to make sure we're all tracking here. So the northern kingdom is called Israel and consists of 10 tribes, even though the entire nation, we call it Israel today. And the southern kingdom is called Judah and consists of Benjamin and Judah. So when I say Israel, I'm talking about the top 10 tribes, and when I say Judah, I'm talking about the bottom two. Otherwise, you're all going to get lost. So, anyone have any questions about that, or because I want to clarify that as we travel through this, because otherwise you're going to go what? Okay. Yeah. Just remember, Israel north, Judah south. Question. I did have a question last week. He said, look ahead. Yeah. And, and we'll book the second Kings or the Chronicles, the Kings, and there was a gap. I was wondering. Yeah, well, we ain't covering no gaps today. We're in chapter 15. The <laughs> last king of Jeroboam was missing one. they're not. They're, Chronicles doesn't grab them all. Okay, so there's six evil kings in the north, one evil king in the south, and one good king in the south. That's where we're gonna travel tonight if you've read ahead. So, verse one here in chapter 15. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, remember Jeroboam's up north, golden cow guy? In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Um, please take notice of that. Remember this for five minutes? Just the mother got that? And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. And that's going to be God's estimation all the way through here. Either their hearts are loyal to God or they're not. We're going to see that repeat itself over and over and over. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. So this man had no real relationship with God. He just possessed, like what like what many today do, they, he just possessed some religion, but he thinks he's good with God like most religious people do. If you ask most religious people, hey, are you good with God? They're going to say, yeah, I'm good, because they think they are. They think they're good. Verse 4, nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. And that is the only reason this man stayed in power for those three years. Please take notice of that. If God had not preserved him, he wouldn't have lasted a second. But if God would not have preserved him, there would have been nothing to preserve as the line of David has to make it all the way through to the Messiah. Because if you remember, God told David that he would build him a house. Meaning that through his seed there would come one who we know as the Messiah or we know as Jesus name so this is a great picture of God's grace and mercy being poured out here because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite okay and we've seen this before but this interests me and it should you and I That one black mark on David's life is remembered here. But please, team, it doesn't disqualify him from moving forward. Our, our, Our past can never disqualify you and I from moving forward. Our present can disqualify us from moving forward if we get stuck in it. But our past can never disqualify us. And no doubt, David cleansed and forgave as David owned his sin. He owned it. He didn't blame others, but he owned it. And God kept his promise to David in spite of his sin. So one strike does not take you out of God's game. It just causes you to pay more attention to what's going on. And here he is. He's named here again. And there was war between Rehoboam, king of Judah down south over the two tribes, and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did... Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam, and this war is recorded for us in Second Chronicles chapter 13, 1. And I really hate to jump ship and go look at it, but we're going to. So Second Chronicles 13, because when you see how this is all worded, you are going to be able to get a really good understanding, I believe, of what's going on amongst all these kings. So 2 Chronicles chapter 13, and we'll be able to comprehend what's going on between the north and south, and we're going to read it with very little commentary, because we'll get to it eventually. But 2 Chronicles 13, verse 1, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the king over the 10 northern tribes, Abijah became king over Judah, or the bottom two, and and, and now notice the slight name change, Abijah, Abijam, same person. They're both defined as a king of Judah, son and successor of Rehoboam. They're both names mean the same with a very slight variation. So, and you'll find that going through here, you're going to go, wait a second, this guy is a different name. No, same name. I have no idea why they spell him just a little bit differently. But I guess if you're a Bob, Bobby, or Bobber, or <laughs> or Bruce, or Brucey, it could be spelled a little bit differently. Bob and yeah. Well, that's uh, Bob and Bobby would probably be closer. Abijah reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micah, the daughter of Uriel, of Gibeah. And there is war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zimmerim which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Jeroboam and all Israel, as the south king is talking to those up in the north, should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by, that, by a covenant of salt? Now, please understand, they don't win this battle because of those present. They don't win this battle because they're more righteous than those up south. God does not pour out his judgment because these here presently are so godly. The battle is won only because of David's covenant with the Lord. Please, you got to understand that. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord, as he's repeating his history uh, to the guys up north. Then worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. When Rehoboam was young and any experience and could not withstand them, and now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David, and you are a great multitude, yeah, they're outnumbered two to one, and with you are the gold calves which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourselves priests, like the peoples of the other pagan lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may in a sense, by themselves to be a priest of the things that are not God's. But for us, the Lord is our God and we have not forsaken him. Oh, Yeah, sure. Uh, No, but see, again, religious people don't think they're doing anything wrong. And he walked in all the sins of his father, Abijah's estimation of how he was doing was different from God's, but he is right in content. And he'll be right in calling upon the Lord here. And seeing that Jeroboam forsook what God promised him, God is going to judge him here. Also remember when Solomon's son Rehoboam came into power, he wanted to go and fight Jeroboam. Remember that? That when Solomon's son came into power and then all, and then Jeroboam broke off and Rehoboam goes, hey, let's go fight those guys up to the north. God said no. Well, today that, that no 18 years later is a yes. Verse 10, as Abijah continues his case as to why they're right. But as for us, the Lord is our God. Of course, they have other gods. He doesn't mention that. And we have not forsaken him. That's his estimation. And the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron. That is true. And the Levites attend to their duties. That is true. All art, no heart. And they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening. Burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. And as you travel through the entire Old Testament... That's the case that people always make when God's prophets come to them and say, hey, look, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it all wrong. And they say, hey, look, we're still sacrificing to to God, man. Put those false prophets in prison. Because they thought, and they always think, as long as they're sacrificing, they're always in good standing with God. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Hey, they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the pure gold table and the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God in this area, but you have forsaken him in everything. Of course, they all had forsaken him. They're just deceived here. It's the add-ons as to what he's saying is what really gets them in trouble as they worship the other gods. It's see, it's not worship God and then worship others. And I understand that might be conflicting in the church today. But the Bible reads, first commandment, I'll remind us, thou shalt have no other gods before me, period. So it's not Jesus plus a couple on the side. No, it's thou shalt have no other, period. No other gods after the God of the universe. Now look, God himself is with us as our head. And his priests were sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper But Jeroboam, the golden cow worshiper, caused an ambush to go around behind them. So they were in front and rear, and they cried out to the Lord, and the priests sounded their trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. Then Abijah and his people, this is civil war here struck them with a great slaughter. So 500,000 choice men of Israel, the northern tribes, were slain. So that means they only have 300,000 left. 500,000 choice men of Israel were slain. Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. This time. Even though they servant mixed gods, though, the true God Almighty and the false ones... They were certainly better off than the north, but they're only winning because of the covenant that David has with God. Back to 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 8. So Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Esau, his son, reigned in his place. Would you call Abijam a good king or an evil king? Come on. Yeah, God calls him evil. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. Please remember that. His grandmother's name was Makah, the granddaughter of Absalom. Now, this is interesting to me. Please take note as we wipe out some of man's secular, humanistic, philosophical wisdom. The same bad grandmother, but a totally different outcome. You see it? Remember that name I told you to remember? She was not only a grandmother of the bad one, but also to another one. Or the mother to a bad one, but also a grandmother to, the, to, a, uh, to Asa. One's good, one's bad. Verse 11. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his great-great-grandfather David. And he banished the perverted persons, the homosexual temple prostitutes, from the land. And Asa removed all the idols that his fathers had made; those that had been before him, Rehoboam and Abijam. Also, he removed Mahakah, his grandmother, from being queen mother. He, he he's removing he, he's removing family here. Please silence your cell phones in the midst of the Bible study. <laughs> At least we know it's no one that should really call me right now. But he is removing family. Please take notice of that. Family is getting in his way here. Also, he removed family, Mahaka'a, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she'd made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron, also known as the town's garbage town. I think it's critical that ungodly family never gets in the way of your walk with Jesus Christians. It's important. And yet it seems like often it does in many people's lives, you know? you know. The guy, remember the guy who says, Hey, Jesus, let me go back and just bury my father. And what does Jesus say? That the, that the dead bury the dead. It's not that his father was already dead. No, it was the guy says, I want to go back, and when my father dies, then I will come and follow you. See, he wanted to go back and do... Dance in that camp before he came and danced in Jesus' camp. Hey, Lord, let me follow you, but let me first go back to my family and say goodbye. And what does Jesus say? Plow. Hand. Any man who puts his hand in the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. And I think it's critical, especially in this day and age, that ungodly family does not get in the way and dictate how a Christian should live their life. It's important. And yet it seems like it happens in too many people's lives. If it does, team, you have to do an ASA here and take their stuff out of your life and burn it. Because it's not going to be healthy for you. So why does one son turn out bad and the other turn out good? They both had the same upbringing. So why does one turn out bad and the other turn out good? You know, we have to come to that place of belief that my environment does not have to make me who I am, even though in our world today, the environment is what makes you as you are. You are a product of your environment, so you are what you are, and I understand that to a certain point, but listen, he chose to be who he wanted to be. I am who I choose to be. My, my family growing up, minus a few parties, was the J. Dobson focus on the family family. So I didn't turn out bad because of my upbringing. I turned out bad for ten years of my life because I chose to. No one forced me to. It wasn't my upbringing. But in today's society, it's hey, well, you know, they are this way because of that. I mean, nobody's guilty of nothing anymore. Hey, the guy killed them because you know his father and his. Man, it's. You know why that is? Because psychology has crept into the courtroom, and the church has bought into it. I challenge you to find it in the scriptures where it's true. Yes, a father's sin, as I live with them, can can rub off on me, not generationally, but because that's who I'm hanging out with. But it's no more different than if you go up to Canada, next thing you know, you're saying, hey, hand me a Coke. Hey, eh? <laughs> we have to understand we have choices. Asa chooses God and his, his, I guess it would be his stepbrother, chose evil. I mean, if Jesus hadn't intervened in my life, I'd still be living in a kingdom of darkness. But he did. I had to choose, once he called me, I had to choose to turn or not. Abijam chose to please himself and serve himself and God. Asa chose just to serve God. And yet they're coming from the same mother. Verse 14. Just something to consider. In these last days where men are lovers of themselves in the church and, and lovers of, you know, never doing anything wrong. It's always, always somebody else's fault. But the high places were not re- removed. Verse 14. Nevertheless, Asa's h- heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. So not a total reformation. But he wipes out a lot of it. But his heart was loyal to the Lord. And that's what God's looking for from us, As we would consider, I don't know, leaders in this place. Certainly not talent. God's not looking for talent. That's what the world looks for. In God's house, he's looking for those whose heart in the midst of all of it is loyal to the Lord all the days of their life. He's not looking for anything beyond that. Qualified? Mm, I don't think the Lord's looking for that. Because he takes the weak and qualifies them. He takes those who make themselves available and qualifies them. He doesn't take the able and qualify them. He takes the available. Verse 15, he also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated. Please take notice of this. And the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. He reclaimed that which at one time had stood as a memorial of God's faithfulness to his father David. Now there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. I mean, civil war amongst the Jews will be a reoccurring topic as we travel through the kings and the chronicles. Basha, king of Israel, he's the instigator here. He came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. You know, uh, uh, Ramah would be like a portable city north of Jerusalem, if you will, and it's a fortified city to cut off the supplies that would normally come from the north, so no supplies could reach the city. It's kind of a let's starve them out and wait tactic. Then Asa, whose heart was loyal to the Lord, not perfect, loyal. He has a misstep here. Look what he does. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. You know the ones that he just brought in? You know the stuff that he had just restored? Why not seek the Lord at this point? Would God really have him use the enemy to protect him, but not God himself? But look what he does. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Temrim, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, so the king up north, above the northern tribes of Israel, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Hey, let's make a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father, speaking of David. See, I've sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with a king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. I mean, that's the deal. I don't know. Maybe Ben going to think, Wow, more, I can get more silver. Maybe you think there's going to be more silver and gold coming or something. But it works. Look at <laughs> verse 20. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Aishan, Dan, Abel, Beth, Makkah, and all of Shinaroth with all the land of Naphtali. So, so, so they, they, they've traveled all the way down through the ten northern tribes. They're attacking Jerusalem, or they want to. And, and then the king of Syria comes and starts attacking the tribes way up at the north. So the, the, the northern tribes that are down here are trying to attack the south. Well, then they have to turn and go back up and attack the king of Syria that's attacking their northern tribes. It's kind of a slick battle plan. Let's go attack the cities in the north, and the north will have to leave those that are attacking in the south, seeking to protect their own territory in the north. Very effective, but missing one small ingredient. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> Christians saved by grace, kept by grace, and that same grace that is taking you home, don't leave Jesus out of your daily decisions. It's critical. Critical. That thinking will prevail in the last days in God's house. It will. Making decisions, but Jesus always gets left out. So we got to be on the lookout. and You got to repent if you find yourself there. Don't get stuck there. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Terza. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all of Judah, the bottom two tribes. None was exempted. And they took away the stones of, and timber of Ramah, which Baasha had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. So so in other words, hey, let's go out there and let's take all of his building supplies and let's make two fortified cities to, to where he's going to have to attack them first before he can get to us at Jerusalem. It's interesting, isn't it? There's kind of a spiritual principle in play here in spite of Asa's failure. And for sake of appearing legalistic and trying to place my convictions on you, I'm not going to offer any suggestions other than point out, look at what they're doing here. The enemy is seeking to build a fortified position that will eventually topple Judah. He splits because he's being attacked. And Asaph proclaims that everybody had better show up and help clear away the building materials. In other words, let's remove that which the enemy is seeking to use against us. So when he comes back, he's going to have to come up with some new stuff because he doesn't have the stuff that he was originally using. So as I look at this, I have to ask myself, are there things in my life that God has shined his light on that, you know, that you need to haul it away? Just haul it away. So when the enemy comes back, he has to go get some new stuff. I mean, that's what they're doing here. You know, if there's something that God say, hey, look, you need to haul that away, then you need to do what Nike says and just do it you got to do it. James 4.17 says what? To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, it's what? Yeah, if you know you need to haul something away, man, haul it away. Don't let it hang out. If God shows you something, haul it away. If it comes back, what do you do? You You haul it away again. If it comes back, you haul it away again. If it comes back, you keep hauling it away until the Lord takes it away. Don't settle into it. Don't go, well, this is like my new normal. No, not if it's sin. Not if God said, haul that thing away. Man, I mean, if he's showing you something, you got to obey and do it. Or like we'll see in the next woman's Bible study next month, this woman will drive a stake through the evil that has entered into her house. You got to deal with it. If you don't, he'll seek to pollute you and destroy you. Verse 23, the rest of the acts of Asa, all his might... All that he did and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Question mark. And it doesn't end right there. But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. What an interesting way to end, right? Does anyone really care about Asa's feet? You should. Apparently God does. Again, please keep in mind that everything in the Bible is in the Bible for a reason. And so, you know, Detour number two, back to Chronicles. This time, chapter 16, Second Chronicles 16. I mean, there's such great lessons here. We'll look at them briefly now, but we'll look at them again when we get there in Second Chronicles 16, verse 7. You got to see this because it's not how great you start; it's how great you finish. Everybody starts great, woohoo, Jesus, hallelujah! But you got to finish. It's critical. Second Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 7. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria, remember he sent the stuff from the treasury? So just to remind us, he had brought it wherever it was, back into the treasury. Then he took it out of the treasury and sent it to the evil king up in Syria. Because you relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Luva not a huge army, yet with many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand, as this prophet is declaring God's truth and really reminding Asa about it. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have worse. What would King David do right now? He would repent. He would own it. But rather than repenting like David would do, Asa was angry with the prophet and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this. Yeah, that he told him the truth. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time, some of the people in the southern kingdom. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. and we we'll read about it in 1 Kings. And in the 39th year of his reign, how long did he reign? Remember, I told you, remember that? 41 years. Look back at verse 10. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. Why? Yeah, because he's a stubborn old cuss. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord but the physicians. Well, I prayed about it. Well, <laughs> Pray about it again, man. Well, I prayed about it. Prayed about it again. How many times? I don't know. How about 490? I mean, that's what Jesus said. If your brother sins against you, how about how about a nice 490 times? Then, when you get there, start over. Yet, in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Can someone say, stubborn? Stubborn. stubborn. So, Isa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. Less than two years from the time that was spoken to him, something killed him. And most Bible scholars would believe it was gangrene, but it's only a guess. Because two years is pretty quick. But this was a pattern in his life by this time. His stubbornness killed him. He started well. Spiritual revival twice. Cleaning up the land. But towards the end of his reign, it would seem becoming prosperous. He hired mercenaries instead of looking to the Lord. He put his trust in his own resources rather than investing them into God's kingdom. Actually, the ones he'd invested in the God's kingdom, he took back. And gave it to the enemy. That's crazy. It's crazy when you look at it. He did invest into God's kingdom. We saw it at the start of his reign, but somewhere along the way, he decided investing into God's kingdom was a waste of time. So not only does he cease investing into God's house, he took out what he had put in and hired the enemy to do his work for him. And on the outside, it looked like it was working. But here's what Asa was failing to realize. He was sowing into the gods of evil mammon. Our Jesus told us, no man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot, love, or cannot serve God and mammon. And that's exactly what he, that's what the prophet came to him and said, hey, look, you can't do that. He obviously, at the end of his life, had a divided heart. So you and I, we all need to guard our hearts all the way to the finish line. You know, God gave him towards the end of his reign what he had been sowing earlier. So team, we need to be careful how we sow. Because days, months, or years for Asa down the road, he eventually reaped what he sowed. So don't think that somehow we get away with it. No one gets away with it unless you repent. Verse 24 in 1 Kings 15. So Asa still doing right like David, rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. So you know Joseph or David's remembered about the thing with Bathsheba and Asa's remembered about something to deal with his foot. So we went and looked at it, see what it was. Then jumping Jehoshaphat, his son reigned in his place. So hold that thought about Joseph. We won't see him until we get to chapter 22. We're now moving up to the north to deal with the kings of Israel that are in the northern kingdom. Remember, no king in the north ever does anything right. They are all corrupt. Verse 25. Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And you're going to notice as we go through this, that Asa, it's going to go from second year to this year to this year. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, so they're they're contemporaries at the time. Uh, and he reigned over Israel two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yeah, that's going to be a recurring theme. And he walked in the ways of his father and his, and his sin by which he had made Israel sin. And we know that, that Jeroboam's sin was what? Golden cows. Then Basha, the son of Abijah, one of the of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. Basha killed him at Gibeathon, which belonged to the Philistines, Nadab and all of Israel, laid siege to Gibethon Baasha, killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. So he, he takes the king by being by assassinating the king, or he takes the throne by assassinating the king. And it was so, when he became king, that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. You know what's sad here? Is it didn't have to end this way. God had promised Jeroboam that if he walked uprightly, And he was blessed that God would create a new dynasty through Jeroboam. But God also said, hey, if you don't walk with me, there's a curse. And this is what we're seeing here, the fruit of that choice of of receiving the curse from God rather than the blessing. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah, the Sheolianite. You remember those words? we saw him because of the sins of Jeroboam which he had sinned and by which he had made Israel sin because of his provocation with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger remember God said look this is what I'm going to do you and here it is it's all played out now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel and there was war between Asa and Basha king of Israel all their days and such will repeat themselves up north over and over and wouldn't you think that Somewhere along the way that someone would stop and say, hey, you know what? Those guys down south are being blessed. You know, should we like maybe clean it up a little bit, you know, toss the cows? But they don't. In the third third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, king, Basha, the son of Ajahn became king, like I said, by assassination over all Israel and Terzah. And he reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam as Jeroboam's sin is going to continue to follow him all the way down. And in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. No doubt you start with the ruthless killer like he was. He assassinated all of Jeroboam's family. And if that's the way you're going to rule, no doubt he's a ruthless guy. Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu. And we know this man is a prophet of the Lord God for over 50 years. And the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha, saying, "Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust, because he was nothing, I made you ruler over my people Israel. Because God appoints authority and God takes authority down. And you've walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins. I mean, can you imagine our God who's slow to anger all of a sudden provoked anger? And he's provoked anger by the actions of one man here. And he provoked me to anger with their sins. Surely I'll take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house. And I'll make you like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So, you know, you know, the guy before you, and, you know, I had you take them all out. Well, you know what? You're going to be taken out now because you're just as evil as he was. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Basha and dies in the city, and the birds of, of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. And that's not the first time we've seen this, nor will it be the last time. And the thing to keep in mind, no burial was a major insult in Israel, kind of like it was in most parts of the world today. You want to be buried. Verse 5. Now, the rest of the acts of Basha, what he did in his might. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Basha rested with his fathers when it was buried in Terzah. Then Eli, his son, reigned in his place. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani against Basha and his house, because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord and provoking him to anger with the work of his hands and being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he killed him. So not only is Basha guilty for not doing right, he's also guilty... Fulfilling the word of the Lord against Jeroboam, because if you look back in chapter 14, verse 10, God said to Jeroboam, "Behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I am going to cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, you know, bond and free. I'll take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it's all gone. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city. The birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Arise, therefore, go to your own." house, when your feet enter the city. Remember that? The child shall die. Remember we covered all this? And all Israel shall mourn. For he's the only one of Jeroboam who, who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good towards the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. We follow that. So, let me ask you this. Did Baasha have a choice to kill all of Jer- Jeroboam's family or not? Of course he did. God did not tell him nor force him to go kill all of Jeroboam's family. God just chose an evil man to go do his work for him. It was Basha's idea. God allowed him to do it, though, to fulfill the previous words which were spoken by the prophet. Look look at verse 7 in chapter 16 again. The prophet comes to Basha and pronounces judgment against him, not just for killing Jeroboam's house. Notice that's last in the list. But because his heart was evil, God used it. That evil heart was Basha's choice, not God's. So could Basha have repented? Of course he could have. Did God know he wasn't going to? Of course he did. Our God is the Alpha and the Mega. He sees the beginning from the ending. It's like, well, hey, here's an evil guy, and this guy's going to do evil. I need someone to take these guys out because they're wicked. He could have learned. Did a 180. Verse 8. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Basha, became king over Israel. It's like you become a king, sorry, you're going to die, be killed. <laughs> if you're part of the family, you're probably going to be killed as well. Not a safe place to be. Eli the son of Basha, became king over Israel and reigned two years in Terza. Now his servant Zimri, commander of half of his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Terza, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house. Of And Terza, and Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Then it came to pass, when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on his throne, that he killed all the household of Baasha. Just like the prophet Jehu had spoken to him. I mean, Jehu said to Baasha, this is what's going to happen. He did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives, nor of of his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke against Basha by Jehu the prophet, for all the sins of Basha and the sins of Eli, his son, by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin, and provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Evil, 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 and more evil. And this is what's so amazing about all this. You have one evil king after another. And yet each one's being used by God to fulfill the previous prophecy given, and yet failing to grasp that that is the previous king's wickedness that got them killed in the first place for their own lives. And this cycle just repeats itself like a washing machine. God appoints you as king, then it's kill and be killed. Kill and be killed. And that's what travels all the way down through as we travel through the northern kingdoms. But again, you'd think someone along the line would wake up to his or her senses and and say, hey, uh, we're being a little stupid here, but that, of course, would require humility and doesn't seem to run up in the north very much. Now, the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, verse 14, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles, the kings of Israel, in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimni has run rain in Terza seven days? Someone say seven. seven. It's not a long rain. And the people were encamped against Gibeathon, which belonged to the Philistines. Now, the people who were encamped heard it said, Zimni has conspired and also has killed the king. So all of Israel made Omri, Omri, the general, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Then Omri and all of Israel with him went up from Gibeathon and they besieged Terza because they wanted to kill Zimri. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken because he knew he was about ready to be captured that he went into the citadel of the king's house and he burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and he died because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord and walking in the way of Jeroboam he committed suicide and in his sin which he committed to make Israel sin now the rest of the acts of Zimri his big seven year reign and the treason he committed are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel if I can't have it no one can. And so he burns it down. But this becomes the fruit of self seeking that would cause people to commit suicide. And it's the same in our world today. Suicide is self-murder sin, just like all others. We certainly don't want to make it sound easy. But at the same time, the Bible doesn't call it the unpardonable sin like some do in the church today. You know, when people seek to take their lives, they've given in to the Father of all lives. You know, Jesus said that the devil was a murderer from the beginning, that there's no truth in him. Certainly that's what people have to be believing and listening to when they take their lives, but we don't want to downplay it, but at the same time, it is not the impartable sin. It's a selfish act, but notice where all the sin originates here. Notice it all keeps pointing back to one man. It all keeps pointing back to Jeroboam. I mean, how would you like to be rem- remembered that, hey, yeah, and you know, your uncle or your, your kids did evil because you were the evil one, and your and and their kids did evil, and then their kids did evil, and that's the history of the north. That's all they do. So please, don't think your life doesn't make a difference. It does. One man's life in the land of Israel polluted the northern kingdom for years. One man or woman's life walking in Christ's righteousness will do the same it will just be a different impact around you, not a pollution, but a preserving. And that's what God wants to do through us. Verse 21. Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half the people followed Tibni, the son of Genath, to him, to make him king. And half followed Omri, their military leader. So now you have a civil war within a civil war. So you have the ten tribes fighting the lower two tribes. Now you got the ten tribes up north, and they're split, and they're fighting one, one another. So you have the people's choice versus, versus the military's choice. You don't even have to read to figure out who's going to win that one. But the people who followed Omri prevailed. He's the military commander over the people who followed Timni, the son of uh, Ganath. So Timni died, and Omni reigned. It's Kind of a how, how it lasts here. In the thirty-first year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and reigned twelve years. Six years he reigned in Terzah and he fought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of sil- silver. Then he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he had built, Samaria. Anything sound familiar there? And, 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 he, and he named it Samaria after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill. And and, and Samaria here becomes the capital of the northern tribes. Plus, it was a great place militarily because it was built up on a hill. Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. Not exactly the final words you want to write on your tombstone. Here lies Omri, the one who has done evil more than all others. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. Provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the books of Chronicles of Kings of Israel? So you can go read all about it again if you want. So Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab. And Ahab's a doozy here. Then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. When you think of Ahab, just think of a spineless jellyfish. He has, no, he has no skin. I mean, Ahab is a beauty. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, and we, we saw he's going to reign 41 years. And so in Asa's life, he will have seen seven different kings up north in Israel, with Ahab now being the seventh one. Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omni, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And you can imagine how much evil that man and his wife, they do in 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So you already know it's not, this guy's going to be a doozy. Because evil always corrupts more evil until it's destroyed. Evil left to itself breeds upon itself. It's like a cancer. I mean, look at your own heart, and I'm sure this has happened to all of us. One thought left unchecked seeks to breed another ungodly thought, and the next thing you realize, you're in big trouble. It's trying to destroy you. That's why the Bible says, it says, take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Because if you leave them there, they start to breed. And those evil thoughts, no matter how innocent they first appear, they're like a cancer. And then those evil thoughts seek to attach themselves to some part of you, and then they start to isolate you from everything else, especially truth and God's spirit, and it starts to breed within itself so that it can kill you. Same thing cancer does. But it's the same thing. You know, the devil's looking just for this little angle, and when you give it to him, we've all been there. literally becomes self-sufficient, seeking to kill what it's attached to and this guy is the root of all of that. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son in the <laughs> Like, yeah, we got to kick it up a few notches. You know, serving the God of Israel by worshiping the golden calves. That's nah, nothing. Ahab took as his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal. Baal. She is the epi- enemy of Baal worship. King of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. So, you know, no longer are they going to serve Israel or the God of Israel by worshipping the golden calf. Oh, no, no, no. They're going to move totally away from that. And they're going to worship Baal. Ever met many or someone called Jezebel? Not many in the land today. This lady is a real work of art. A spiritual Bonnie and Clyde, if you like. But this body will wreak havoc on Israel because Clyde is a weak king with no backbone to stand up to his woman. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. That's quite a memorial there. It's not exactly something you want to be remembered for. In Ahab's days... Hael of Bethel, and this guy's name only shows up right here. And when you look at this, it's like this is stuck in here like out of nowhere. But here's the key, in Ahab's days. It seems this is done under the direction as Ahab, as Ahab wants to defy God's word. But he doesn't. And the thing about Ahab and Jezebel, it never costs them anything. It always costs other people everything. And so he had Hael build Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abraham, his firstborn. That should sound familiar to us. And with his youngest son, Sigub, he set up his case according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. And so if you don't remember, just flip back real quick to Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. Because Joshua charged the people once they had destroyed Jericho. And there is no doubt in my mind, Ahab wants to know if this word of God is true. And so he says, "Hey, buddy, why don't you go rebuild Jericho?" I don't know if this guy knows about Joshua, what Joshua said. But in Joshua 6:26, Joshua charged them at this time, saying, "Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds a city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, Baal of Bethel, did, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates." It cost him his youngest as well. Hey, Ahab, if you defy God's words, it will cost people their lives. And they like that. That's how sick these two are. This, this man was such a selfish and self-centered spineless wimp. He didn't care. Remember when he's whining? We'll get to it. He's whining because he doesn't get the field. Naboth's field. Joseph Bell says, "Don't worry, honey. I'll go get it for you." They're always taking from others. It's always at someone else's expense. Here is the kids of Hael that had to pay, not Ahab, as he starts to sow wickedness into the land. And trust me, God takes notice of that. So, chapters 15 and 16, we just covered 40 years of history tonight. Not a lot to be remembered for up in the north, but this is what they left behind. And you know, team, we're all going to leave something behind as well as we walk walk in this world. They left evil wherever they walked. And, you know, my my word of encouragement to us is let us reason our own hearts to run the race with endurance. That we would seek to be loyal to the Lord, not perfect. But we would seek to be loyal to the Lord in running this race that he set before us. That we might run it in a way and such to obtain it. That we might truly leave behind the sweet frankness of Jesus wherever we go. It's critical. Because we're going to leave something behind. And we're going to weather through these chapters. (laughs) And uh, when we get into Chronicles, if it's new information, we'll look at it. If not, we'll just skip it. It'll be okay. You can read it at home if you think we're missing parts. There's some good things in here when we're down south. But otherwise, up north, it's just evil and a little bit more evil. But we can learn from the evil king, so we don't have to do that evil ourselves. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we want to learn, we want these pictures to become present within each one of our hearts and our lives.